0: And welcome to a new episode of PR 360. And I'm your host, Brett Deister. And if you could please subscribe to PR 360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music, it really does help. And leave a review as well. Let us know how we're doing. Anyways, this week I have Terry with us, and he has a quite interesting background. He didn't really go to school PR, but he knows a lot about PR through a lot of his storied history of working as he's told me with the Johnny Carson show, with working with the zoo. Now he does his own speaking about just about everything inspirational, actually. And we need a little bit of inspiration this year. So welcome to the show, Terry.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Pleasure being here. Thanks for asking.
0: And my first question is, all my guests, are you coffee or tea drinker? Hey, I'm neither. I love Diet Coke. All right. Do you like the newfangled flavored Diet Cokes or just the regular old fashioned Diet Coke?
1: I, for a while, did Lime Diet Coke, but I like just the good old fashioned, give me some caffeine and a buzz in the first part of the morning.
0: That's fair. That's why we mostly drink coffee. A little bit of the taste, too, but mostly the caffeine. (laughs) Exactly. Anyways, moving on to what was your most memorable marketing slash PR campaign? Good
1: question. I actually have two. The first one that really started my career was when I was in the cable television business. And I loved doing TV and doing PR in general. But my hometown, 50 people, little farm town called me and said, hey, we're going to have a centennial. We don't know whether 100 years old, but we're going to have a centennial. Anyway, have a big party. And uh, we need some help with the PR, with the publicity on it. So I met with a gentleman and we brainstormed. And I love giving ideas. I've been called the idea dude because I'll try just about anything to see how to work it or make it just a little more successful. And uh, during the conversation of what we could do to get some press, uh, the gentleman, the farmer said, you're our most famous person because you've done radio and TV. And I thought, oh, my God, if I'm the most famous person, we better adopt somebody. So I sat down in those days, it was called a typewriter, typed out a press release and sent it out saying, hey, Cooper, I would like to adopt one celebrity. If you'd just be our resident for one day during the centennial, because we've never had anybody in 100 days, we'd love it. We'll give you a free oil and lube job at the local garage. name the street after you. We had a whole bunch of cemeteries, so we gave away a free cemetery plot. Then we asked some crazy questions. And of course, I learned in PR, you need the hook. You need the thing that made it feel like it was Iowa, that it was small town. And so we sent it out and I made too many copies when I first did it. We did it by mail and I had 44 letters and I didn't know 44 press places. So I went to the next town over. We didn't have a library in Cooper, Iowa. So I went to the library and I started looking up the New York Times and L.A. and sent it to the London, whatever the London newspaper was. And I put the stamps on it, cost me about 30 bucks, and I sent them all. But you know what? All of those press releases, I failed 43 of the 44 times. But the next morning at 9 o'clock, I got a call from someone named Bruce Canner. He said, I'm a reporter for a company called United Press International. We like the idea, We'd like to put it on the national wires." Okay, I really didn't know what United Press International was, UPI. So I gave him some quotes. He put it on the wires. And you know what? An hour later to the second almost, I get a call. I said, hey, this is Jim McCauley. I'm a talent coordinator with Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. Somebody ripped this off the wires, put it on Johnny's desk. He was born in Iowa, and he liked it. So we're going into a production meeting, but you got to guarantee us that you'll give us first shot at it because you're going to get called by all the reality shows. Will you give us that exclusive? Hell yeah. <laughs> Be on the Johnny Carson show, national 20 million people. So I hung up the phone to call the farmer to tell him, hey, we got a big nibble on this one. And lo and behold, I got no dial tone. In those days you had to use that old landline. And uh, I hear this screaming at the end. Hey, 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 is this Terry Rich? Yes, it is. My name is Judy Steinberg. I'm with Good Morning America. I have two tickets. I want you to New York tomorrow morning sorry, I just committed to the Tonight Show. You can't legally do that. Oh, we can sue you, blah, 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 blah. Make a long story short, all of a sudden, this was like going viral on YouTube. We had press from all over the world asking for applications for celebrities. Mickey Mouse, Danny Thomas, Henry the Vons, Winkler. We had a lot of celebrities who applied to be the 51st Citizen. And when they got this call, they called back from the Carson Show and they talked about doing the entire show live from Cooper. And if they did, they were going to guarantee us the front cover of Time, Newsweek, and all the major publications. Good Lord, what a fun deal. They called us back said, we couldn't get this satellite uplink up, figured out to go live from your location. So we're just going to bring three of you out. So they brought us out. We were the first guests. We were on for 20 minutes, two commercial breaks, 20 million people. They played it on the Best of Carson two years ago, and my career was born. That was the biggest break in, in my career, which later led me being able to do national television because I was working for cable television for HBO, ESPN, and did business with all the different ones using the satellite uplink idea that I got from the Carson show, all because I sent 44 PR releases and only one hit. And that was the lesson that I learned was that you can't just send it to one and hope that's successful. You just like a job application, you have to send a lot out. And from that I was able to then start my own companies after we cashed out with cable television and did productions for all the big networks and ultimately uh, wanted to retire midlife the life crisis age 50 and the a Zoo and then the lottery. Which was my second PR story if you're ready for an hour we can talk about it later.
0: For those that don't know typewriter was basically a manual computer. <laughs> and <laughs> good, good point In the old times, you actually had to mail your press releases out. So this whole thing about too many copies, it actually means hard copies because in the email age for you young PR people is that you had to mail these out. You couldn't just send an email because there was no such thing as email at the time.
1: But what it did teach me was that the hook is so important, even when you do it, as I got to the zoo. The zoo had not really done much press. They felt that it was losing $600,000 a year as people went. If you have kids, you go to a museum or a zoo once when you're a kid, once when you take your kid, and once when you take your grandchild. And so I felt it was important to get people there every single year. So we looked for PR opportunities, not the big headline up above, which is the news maybe an elephant died. We, anything that happened at the zoo, we wanted it out because any press, you know that, any press is good press. The top line was always the factual, but I always threw in because I knew the news editor or the assignment editor, I put something funny in the second one. Yeah, elephant dies at age 53. Yes, he packed his trunk and went home or something like that because they would always look forward to seeing the crazy people down at the zoo. We do that. And within a year, we changed a $600,000 deficit zoo on income to cash flowing it in the black and raised over $12 million for an endowment that will make that zoo last forever But more importantly, we got people in and it became the second largest cultural attraction in the state of Iowa, not by building new big exhibits right out of the shoot or doing anything else, but just basically using public relations to build it as a classic deal. And I think one of the things at the zoo that really worked well is it was New Year's Eve and we got a call from the group, the gay community who wanted to have a party and we had a liquor license for weddings. And it was after hours, and so I took the chance to say, hey, why not? It's a public place. Let's go ahead and, and rent it. And we had the wildest the drag show and all sorts of crazy stuff and all the booze and everybody partying. But it was a private party there. And the word got around, again, this is mouth-to-mouth and social media, that the zoo's kind of a fun place to go. And so we thought people like booze, and we want young people to come without kids. But they don't come because if they don't want the kids running around. So we started Zoo Brew. From all of that, which meant that people could come and have a drink and no little kids and a band. And lo and behold, they, last year they sold $250,000 just in booze at these Zoo brews. So it all comes about by getting the word out and being just a little bit edgy in how you do that.
0: Don't be as edgy since everybody is edgy now.
1: Yeah. You've got to break through the clutter. There's no doubt about it. And it really depends whether you're a government or a, in your business. If your business is a public institution, or an official but if you're an entrepreneur, you want to be as edgy as possible because it's tough to break through the clutter. But if you're a government, a business official or a, a public company and you're the PR person, that's where I think you've got to you take less risks, You got to be just as creative in finding the hook, but when you send something out, that official document might haunt you for years. At the zoo, it got no press before, so anything that brought it back and people could smile and you could have more fun with those of those press releases.
0: Interesting. So how do you find the hook or how do PR people figure out that hook? Cause it seems to be, it seems to hard for some people to find that interesting hook for a lot of PR pros. I'm pretty sure, because you got to always figure out what hook is the best hook for you.
1: I agree. Back to any press is good press. I don't care what happens. I going into it always looked for one message that even if they were writing a bad story about us, that message would shine through. And you hear a lot of that who say safety is our number one priority. People will use that when there's a major deal. People remember those kinds of quotes when you do that, even if it's a negative that something bad has happened. So I'd look for those kind of things. I think when I've been an entrepreneur and took a lot of risks, I don't mind taking risks in public relations to be guess the word is edgy, but looking for something that is short, sweet, and to the point, because you need sound bites today. There is no doubt about it because that sound bite goes up in the press release. The other advantage public relations professionals have today is that most newspapers have gone to the rip and print. Take it, take a quick look at it, print it, give it your own byline and maybe one call and it's done. And that's sad because I don't think that you, you, PR has become more important than the journalists themselves because when you write it, that's probably how it's going to come out. So, I was not really good on spelling, not really good. I always want somebody to check my grammar. And so when a press release goes out, I always let somebody else take a look at it and bounce it off of folks, see how it is. Or make sure that you don't offend a portion of the audience. I say that because I wrote a book on creativity and how to create an innovative environment. And one of the things that I did was say in doing ideas like we're doing right here and trying to get input from people, if I put COT in it, That means consider or toss. If I send you an email and it says COT in the subject line, that's telling you just wanted to make sure you knew about this, think about this, we'll have ideas, we'll talk about it later. Well, I did that presentation in England and every time I said consider or toss, I got all these giggles in the audience. Uh, What the heck is going on? I was really killing it. Come to find out, toss means male pleasure in England. And I so I changed my book quickly to consider or throw away when I talked about the COT and words. bouncing those ideas off others so you don't offend anybody, but trying to be as edgy as you can and all of the ways to do that. But think about the one idea. So when they when people call, when you get the interviews that you desperately want, that call has that top of mind. So when they ask you a question, no matter what you're asked, you can always say, Look, Our games are fair and honest, or the zoo is a place we want families, a safe place for families to come to. We'll come out in almost every question that I'm asked so that it does translate in once they report it.
0: Gotcha. And what do most PR pros seem to overlook when promoting or getting a hook for their business that you've seen?
1: I think they try sometimes to do what they think is... So professional. If you're giving an interview, I was taught a long time ago: if you give the serious look on your face and you're doing an interview, is not as genuine as if you just simply raise your eyebrows. Anytime I do an, an interview, whether it's TV, whether it's radio, whether it's newspaper, I just raise my eyebrows because what that does is open my face, open my mind, open my heart to say, "I'm here to tell you whatever you need. I'm here to give you the correct information." Too many PR professionals are worried about the actual facts versus the tone and the flavor of telling the truth, being honest, upfront, how can I help you? And that coming across as genuine. Actually, most are defensive. They won't return calls. I had so many people in state government that the directors would never return a call. They said, I'll give that to my CIO or whatever, which is good. The CIOs are good, but the genuineness comes when the CIO can work with the CEO or the president and say, or the director and say, here's, let's practice this and let's do it because becoming genuine is where the message will really ring. And remember back to the craziness, we talked about the edginess. If I'm giving an interview, as long as it's not death or major crazy, serious stuff, I want to be lighthearted. I want to be fun. I want to be approachable to show that, man, this looks like a fun organization to work for. It looks like a fun organization to be a client of.
0: Gotcha. So make sure that you're not really, you're squinting almost. Make sure you're just open with your eyebrows.
1: Yeah. Most people want to look serious if they're answering anything, even if it's death, even if it's a major problem, simply raising your eyebrows and saying, look, this is a serious situation. We're here to do what we can to correct it. You're raising your eyebrows. You have that openness and I'm ready to answer any question, no matter what you're asking. Ronald Reagan was a master. Bill Clinton was a master at doing that. I think that Donald Trump had the desire to then did it better in his later years, but before that was almost too serious all the time. And he was out on the campaign trail. He did. You could tell he was happier and his eyebrows raised. So I think that's a big, and Obama was was masterful at, at doing the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And what tactics have you seen when promoting your own business that's worked for PR? Let's
1: go back to the 44 letters were sent out, 44 PR releases were sent out, and only one worked. I think. The big thing I would say is don't be afraid to think of anybody and anywhere that you could send to that might relate, that might print, that might report on, that might ask you for an interview. Reason that, and if you only send one, if you really want that New York Times article, you'd be surprised how many times the New York Times are, is actually reporting on a small town newspaper article that the editors have scanned and found and thought it was an interesting story. And so what happens is as soon as you get a reporter or you get an interview that is published, and it's in third party, and that third party says positive things or laughs with you as if it's a fun story or tells the story themselves, it then becomes credible. In today's social media world, anybody and everybody is a reporter. We've lost our whole, I'm a journalist background, Uh, we've lost what's feeling as the let's report on it, and it seems like there's an angle to almost everything because you need the clicks, the clickbait, they call it. And so finding that edge and finding that is good. So I think that's probably the, the best advice I can give on that.
0: Hmm. So find an edge, but don't be too clickbaity is what I'm hearing.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. And as you're doing it, be sure you're talking to, you talk to many, not just one. I think about job interviews. I didn't have, all three of my kids got jobs right away because they didn't say, I want to go to work for Google and that's all they applied to. I told them to apply everywhere and test the waters. And even if you only get the local a little small town that call you for the interview, the training and the rehearsal of what the next big one that calls that gives you when you do that story with them really helps and makes you look even more polished.
0: Gotcha. And what type of skills do you think most PR pros miss or don't think is useful that they should actually think is very useful for them?
1: I think listening and being open to suggestions, at the lottery, I had a person who was an AP reporter that was the chief information officer, of the PIO person who people, the press called any questions on the lottery. And when I would want to write something up or I was asked to write an opinion or whatever, I always had her advice. But just as important, when she wrote a press release or did any of it, she always let me take a look at it. And I'd mark it up. And if you've ever worked with an ad agency PR person, you know that if you do anything to mark it up, they scream and yell at you. You're violating even creative people. You're violating my creative, my profession or whatever. But this person never did that. And I could figure out why. And she said, it's because I worked for the Associated Press and I had an editor who had an editor because we always had to have it right. And so I love input. And if you have that mindset going into it, the people that you're working with will appreciate that you're open to suggestions and you can come back with them and say, here's my thought of why I'm doing this. And you have a much better, a much back to a more genuine and a full team supporting the position you're taking in that release.
0: Mm -hmm. So basically be open to suggestion, but also if you see all the red marks, just look at it and be like, okay, thank you. And I'll work on this. (laughs)
1: Take suggestions as you do that. Take all the suggestions because I respected her for letting me give suggestions, but also respected her when she said, That one I'm not going to use. I love this one over here. That's a good thought. But over here, I don't want to. And here's the reason why. Made for a much better team effort in trying to get the message portrayed to the press whenever and when the entire team was asked about anything. And we always, the other thing is, Communicate within your own organization. When you do a press release, don't just send it to the press and not send it to all your employees as you're sending it to the press. If you've got a major announcement for a company that you're merging with somebody or whatever, nothing is worse than having a, an employee say, how come I heard this in the paper on TV? I didn't hear it from you. So be sure to communicate to your own team as well.
0: Mm, do internal and external communication.
1: Internal and external, for sure.
0: And speaking of content and writing and stuff, do you think that the push for PR people to be more content driven and less about writing, even though writing is important, has diluted PR a little bit since it seems like everything is being pushed to video, audio. I'm doing video and audio too, but it's being pushed there and writing is taking more of a back seat because everybody would rather just listen or watch something.
1: You're right. But I think that content is king for one or two times. But if you really want to succeed and get on, a national play, on the national stage and play with the big dogs and all of this, you have to have the writing too. You have to have the accuracy. You have to have the research. But to be able to do it and turn it around quickly but make sure it's correct will get you on the big stage for the long term. I do see people who have guests on the news programs or other programs that are really wild and crazy. They're there for maybe months or a year, but they're not usually around for long term. And that's why having the skills you're talking about is so important.
0: And so how can PR pros keep their writing strong? Because you, writing is writing, it's very creative, but there's also is a method to writing. So yep. how can they continue to keep it strong during this pandemic? And they may not be writing as much as they used to
1: obviously it's any skill you have to keep going for it. And the second is to have friends and associates that you can pass the by and have them give you input. It might be your old professor. It might be your old uh, journalism professor or PR professor, or or, uh, just good friends who are also in the business to have coffees or zoom meetings like this. And you pass them around and say, what do you think? What are you feeling? Tell me. You really can't get that from as much probably from the boss, although you want to pass final ones by And suggestions to the bosses. But many of us take a position as PR within an organization, and then you feel isolated because you and maybe one or two other people, if you're in a bigger company, work together in doing that. But you don't have the big camaraderie that the CEO might have in going to Rotary or to another club of some sort. So finding other people outside your business confidentially to give you input on the writing and the skills and suggestions would be how you hone that a little better in these times.
0: Mm. And then fun question for you, since I know you're a speaker, would you rather talk to five people that are really engaged with you or 5,000 people that were eh, a little engaged with you?
1: I would say 5,000. Here's the reason is I speak a lot and my degree is in speech. I have a BS in speech, so that helps a lot. I find that if I speak to someone that I know, maybe it's a local library doing an author And I have people that I know, that's a lot tougher because they know me and I don't get quite as crazy and take risks in my speech, try to keep people on their seats. 5,000, you can look around and you can find somebody who's been on their head and you really feed on the look back. And if you don't know them, what the heck, I'm going to walk away. I'm going to get my check. I'm going to have a great time. That's the beauty of public speaking, professional speaking is you come in, you're an expert. Further away you are from home, the bigger the expert you are. And uh, they pay you and you can look around at that town that you're in and uh, come home and smile and and have a great life. It's a great gig.
0: All right. Any final thoughts for our listeners?
1: Just to say thank you. If you're in the public relations side, few people understand, few people appreciate what you do, but when you hit the big one, the Johnny Carson show, no doubt got my career so that I could jump right in through the ranks and ultimately, be on all the national television, radio, podcasts like today and the things. Take the risk, but make sure you're hitting a lot. Don't focus too tight on how you're trying to get a message out, but have some fun with it, and I think you'll be very successful. But back to being a PR professional just from a CEO of the importance that you play in an organization, I say thank you.
0: All right. Thank you, Terry, for being on PR360. We really appreciate it.
1: Appreciate the opportunity to do it.
0: And thank you for listening to PR 360. As always, please subscribe to PR 360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music and leave a review. Let us know how we're doing. And hold on,
1: hold on. This is where I get to say, void prohibited, member FDIC. Go ahead.
0: And join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe, do some writing, and be a little edgy at the same time. All right, guys, later.